yes. Yes, I, uh, I loaded up my life so that it would all be about me. Have you noticed that? I, uh, not only was it my birthday, but it was also our 22nd anniversary. And we just jam everything in together. My goal ultimately is to rob my family of all of its money. Uh, and mostly focus back on me. So praise the Lord. So far it's working out well. Uh, I have a couple quick announcements uh, for you as we get start uh, get started. Uh, one of those is that there are a number of folks in this room that God has laid it on your heart that now it is time to lead. You have a lot of Christianity under your belt. You have had a lot of experiences with the Lord. You love the Lord deeply. And now it's time to pour some of that into other people. I want to encourage you that this year we're going to be launching after five years of prep. We're going to be launching our small groups that we call missional communities. We want to train you to be the leaders for that leading us into the future. We have a six week intensive course that's going to be coming up very soon here and it will be during this hour. So normally you come to church, you'd be going to that for six weeks and then going to the service after that. It begins on January 29th and I need you to get in contact with Heather Johnson. Heather Johnson, either on the city, you can just search her name or her email is very easy. It's just hjohnson at bridgewaychristian.org. But I need you to be the leaders of today and tomorrow. So if you have ever wondered, I wonder when the right time is. Now is the right time, all right? And then you go, well, I don't know if the Holy Spirit said that. No, but I said that. So uh, it's very questionable. You understand what I'm saying? All right, one other announcement. I got to grab this real quick. And that is... The March, the MLK Junior March is coming up this month. So normally we operate when all wear the same sweatshirt so we can kind of show a united front that the Christian church is loving on the African-American community. This year we're going to be going with hats and it's an invitation concept. In other words, you buy a hat for you and buy a hat for someone else, and then y'all walk together. That's the idea. So it says, walk with me. It also has City Pastors Fellowship on it. Now, here's what I think is kind of special that God's been doing. We have been involved at City Pastors Fellowship with really reconciling and helping understanding in the tensions that have existed between the African-American community and the police force, which, of course, you all know has been a, a challenging issue throughout our nation. What's so exciting about it is that in a show of solidarity, the police officers are going to be wearing hats that say City Pastors Fellowship just along with us, which I think is kind of fun. So what I'm encouraging us to do is to actively show our love by all marching together, that we would all pour in there and that it would highlight out that we, we can't fix everything, but we can certainly, certainly show that we love people, right? So what I'm encouraging you to do is to join me for, I would say both events, but certainly the march. The night before at Capital Christian Church is the big kind of extravaganza where we do the celebration. That's the big MLK choir. That is the uh, special guest speakers that come in. 
And I would encourage you to be a part of that with me, but certainly the march. We march on Monday morning and we leave from Sac City College. You can do a longer walk by going to another area and meeting with them earlier, but we all meet because we're wimps at Sac City College, right? So that we only walk so far, all right? Now, if you go, I wonder how long that walk is. Well, I need you to come and find out, all right? So the celebration is Sunday night, January 15th. Monday morning is January 16th. And all those hats are for sale. Five bucks for a hat. It just covers the cost of the hat. What we're hoping for is that you purchase one for you and an invitation to someone else. So that would be 10 bucks for two hats. All right, we got that piece. One last announcement. I'll make it quick and easy. I need you here at church this year. Uh, we're doing New Year's resolutions, right? Here's what I need you to do. I need you to carve out this time as precious. There's a bunch of stuff that's going to distract you. There's a bunch of stuff that's going to pull you away. I need you to resist that and be here. Why? Because it takes time to transform. And if we don't put in the time, if we keep skipping, I don't want the statistics of the nation to be the statistics of Bridgeway, which are what? That people only show up to church every three to six weeks. That means we're missing massive gaps and there's no continuity of the message. So if I'm leading you on something, I'm going to be sharing it based on the last week. If you weren't here, there's a big gap in understanding and you're going to feel more lost. So I need everyone to commit. I'm here every week that I can be right now. Sometimes you can't. I get that. That's not a guilt thing. That's why we have the online streaming and all that. If you're out on a vacation or whatever, you can join us that way. But if you're in town, I would sure love to have you here. Amen. Amen. Take out your Bibles and the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door and we can begin. We are launching a, not only a brand new series next week, we are launching the brand new theme for 2017. And so obviously it's going to say the year of the year of, right? Well, we have a different and a new one. So I'm going to lead you into that and then we'll reveal it to you on the screen. But it is basically under this premise. For two and a half years, we baked in who Jesus was. Y'all remember that? All right. The Being Jesus series for two and a half years told us as we focused up who God is. Jesus is the exact representation of the Trinity. If we want to know the heart of God, we look at Jesus Christ. So we have focused on who God is. Then we took a whole year last year, 2016, the year of identity. Who are we in light of who he is? Yeah. Y'all following my reasoning here? So we focused up, then we focused in. Now it's time to focus where? Out. There you go. Welcome to 2017, the year of purpose. The year of purpose is it's time to put everything we have into action. It is now time to do something about it. It's no longer time to just think about it. Yes, are we going to think about stuff? Sure we are. But God has given us everything we need for life and godliness, the Bible says. It says that we have been overwhelmed by grace, that we have extraordinary forgiveness, that we are basking in his love, that we have been given power and authority in his 
name. Now it's time to do something with that. So this is a year of doing stuff. All right. We need a year of action. So every week we're going to consistently challenge you to act like Christians. You understand what I'm saying? It's bringing the love of Jesus Christ tangibly and practically out into the world. So we'll have a bunch of different ideas, and I'm going to share some of those ideas towards the end of my message this morning. But I want to basically tell you a couple of reasons why calling may not be or purpose may not be what you think it is. There are many of us that have been taught that we are waiting for God to reveal our calling. And what we do is we tend to look at professional ministers like myself, and we say, well, I want to know what my calling is. Lance knows what his is. He's a pastor. And then we associate that that's what purpose means. That is incorrect. Because here's what we're actually saying. God, when are you going to show me how I can use my gifts and become known? Lord, when can I use my gifts and feel significant? God, when will you wake up stuff in me and make it clear about how I can make a difference. As much as that may be true, we do not sit at home waiting for that call on the phone. You have already received your purpose. What is it? Obedience. What is your calling? Obedience. What are we supposed to do? Get out there and do whatever the Lord tells us we need to do. You're already on. You don't need to wait for some big aha moment for you to figure out that you're significant. You're already significant. You're already loved by God. You're already cherished and valuable and equipped. So you don't have to wait for anything. There's tons to do. The Bible says we're actually praying that more people would get into the ministry in one way or another so that the salt and light is felt in the world, right? So do not wait. I wonder what my calling is. Your calling is to be a representative for the kingdom of God. We actively pray for people. We actively minister to people. We actively love on people. That is our purpose. It's all wrapped up in our identity. Let me say it another way. From our relationship with God comes our responsibility as representatives. That is your calling, right? Out of our covenant with God comes his kingdom in and through us. From our being emerges our doing. From our family develops our mission in the world. So in other words, everything baked in has to lead to something going out. It's how we were designed and it's what we've all been called to do. But what does that look like? What does it look like practically? Well, here's what I need you to do. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 10, verse 25, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Quick show of hands. How many of you have heard the story of the good Samaritan? Raise your hand. All right, you can look across and see. That's a lot of us, right? We've heard the Good Samaritan. I've taught it myself multiple times. I've had it taught to me multiple times. It's kind of one of those go-tos for pastors, right? Why? Because it's a cool story and it's a very clear message and it's powerful. What I want to do is I want to briefly touch on the major pieces of it, but I want to go a little deeper in the story today because I believe that it is the call 
of Bridgeway, specifically. We begin in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And by the way, I don't roll up my sleeves to be dramatic. It's actually really hot up on stage. I'm just letting you know, if you think you're a little warm, come on up under the lights with me. It's really warm. All right. There we go. Uh, can you come up? No, Mike, you can't. You have to sit there. All right. Luke 10, 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, well, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Context is everything. Much messiness has been made of scripture because we reject and refuse to look at context. What we say has a different meaning based on what it comes from, right? So what is the context of this passage? Well, I'll tell you very clearly, and you've been taught it probably very accurately. The context is pretty heavy. Eternal life and love. Eternal life and love. Those are very heavy pieces. What Jesus is about to talk about is no small matter. How do I have eternal life? How do I get saved? And what does love look like, right? Okay, that's the context. But then it moves on and it says this, verse 29, but he, the guy who asked the question, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, this is where most messages sit. And that's great because that is the heart of the message. Who am I supposed to love? And the answer we all know is everyone including our what? Our enemies. So eternal life and love, and who are we supposed to love? That's everyone. Where I want to focus today is how ought we to love them? This is going to be the majority of our message. Here we go. Verse 30. Jesus replied, I'll tell you a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, pause. Y'all know this is a race story, right? This is a racial tension story. Samaritans and Jews hate each other. So the point was grabbing two enemies, people that did not see eye to eye. They didn't like each other, didn't respect each other. This was an enemy story, primarily based on race. Okay. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where this man was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Now I'll say that again. When he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, Jesus said, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? 
And the man said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yeah, well, how about you go do that? What did the Samaritan do for the wounded Jewish man? That is the question that we're going to be studying. What did he do for the man? Well, if you look at it deeper, it kind of talks about us modern day. I want you to picture in your mind the needs in society, whatever they may be. Let's say the issue is poverty. Let's say the issue is racism. Let's say the issue is uh, sexism. Let's say the issue is certain equality pieces. Let's say the issue is drugs. Let's say the issue is addictions. Whatever you think that has really wounded our society or is wounding people, I want you to think of that as we study this. Watch what he did. The first thing I believe is one of the biggest challenges of the modern day American church. He stopped because he had compassion. He stopped because he had compassion. Why is that a big deal? Because most of us are too busy to stop at all. Our compassion does not stop us anywhere. We got stuff to do, places to go, people to see. Our schedules are so slammed, even if there was need, we can't do anything about it. Correct that. We will not do anything about it. This guy was going on, and what's intriguing about the story is it doesn't tell you what he was thinking. It doesn't tell you anything about the setup. For example, you don't know how busy he was. You don't know where he was headed. He might have been on a very important mission. I can tell you this, it had to be important because he was going in a very dangerous area by himself. So obviously it was important. His compassion demanded that he stop. Huh. Does your compassion demand that you stop? Quick show of hands. How many of you are parents? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. All right, good. There's a lot of you. Would you see your child down the hallway of your home, break their leg and walk the other way? Please don't raise your hand. I am a mandatory reporter and I don't think that's wise. All right, here we go. Most of you are horrified at the concept. Why? Because your compassion demands a response. You literally cannot move on. You would say, well, no, I would never imagine walking away. Oh, so a certain level of compassion demands a response. So what if we're not stopping, what are we lacking in? Compassion. Here's the second thing that he did that I think is fascinating. He went to where the wounded man was. He didn't demand the man get up and come over to him on his side of the street. I think we do this constantly. Hey, if you really have a need, why don't you show up at the church and figure it out? This guy was beat up and laying in a ditch. Could he physically get up? I don't know. Probably not. This Samaritan went to where he was, did not demand that he come to him. Is that significant? Yes, because much of ministry at church is you need to come and get help as opposed to us focusing on going where they are. And you know what it requires sometimes? 
crossing the street. Now, metaphorically, we're talking about crossing the street out of your comfort zone into somebody else's neighborhood. Huh, that's interesting. You go, well, why can't they just come over and get help? They're able-bodied, but what if they're not able-minded? What does that mean? What if there is a wound that is in their heart and in their mind and they can't come to where you're at? Does that mean they do not deserve compassion? Let's say we have neighbors around here who have been so wounded by religion, they don't want to get anywhere near a church and we still demand that they come here. Shouldn't we go to them because their woundedness has made them unable to cross the street? We have to go to them. So as much as this year we're going to be doing invitation pieces, like our grand opening at Easter, we're going to be opening our doors to the whole community. We're going to be putting out flyers and all these things to say, if you come to Bridgeway, you will be loved, which I hope that is the case. So we're going to prep up to that point to make sure that when they walk in these doors, our family is warm and welcoming right? Whatever issues you got, it's not about you right now. It's about welcoming them and loving on them. So I'm going to put that invitation out to everybody and that's great, but there's a whole bunch of people that will take that flyer and throw it in the trash because their woundedness will not allow them to cross the street. So we got to go get them. Third thing I saw that he did He solved the problem to the best of his ability. It says he put on oil and wine on the guy's wounds. Nothing says in this story that he's a doctor. So he could have played the justification game. Why would I possibly help this dude? I'm not a doctor. I don't even know what I'm doing. I can't solve this guy's problems and blah, 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 blah. He did what he knew how. Here's the mandate of the Christian. Do what God gave you the ability to do, and the rest of the results are up to God. No, you can't do everything. That's not your job. That's why we have a body of Christ. You know one part, you know one part, you know one part, you know one part, and by the time they engage with their new family, we have all their needs taken care of. Individually, you only have one tiny part. So he did what he knew, and moved on the next piece he used his vehicle to carry the man to rest and safety he didn't leave him there it still would have been a cool story if the guy goes riding up sees somebody beat up ministers to his wounds takes out his own food leaves it with a guy and goes on his way that's still super loving yes but that's not where the story stops He picks up the dude, puts him on his vehicle, which his vehicle was a donkey at the time, right? You may have a four by. He had a donkey. He puts him on his vehicle and takes him out of danger. Because y'all remember he did get beat up, right? Those people are still going to be wandering the area. So if he got anything, corruption demands that they would come and take that as well. So let's say you gave him something. It's kind of like the situation around the world. Corruption keeps taking away stuff from people. And even if you come in and try to help them, the bad guys take that away too. So if you hand something to someone, there's no guarantee it's going to keep blessing them because bad guys can still take it. You must get them into a safe environment with whatever vehicle you have. Y'all following me? All right, good. No one is. Praise the Lord. Okay. (laughs) 
That's good. To close it out, he took care of him personally and physically, meaning he got his hands dirty and he paid good money for practical care and he did over and above. So he kept saying, if there's more, if there's more, if there's more, he didn't say, well, I'm going to give this much and no more. If your child had to go to the hospital and you said, I only want to give them the care that's in my budget. Does that sound weird? It does sound weird because compassion doesn't count cost. You do what it needs to be done. Okay. So we all hear the message. We all understand that story. Let me just explain what I think is the most significant aha moment. There's no message given in this story. The Samaritan did not have a, you know, Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. There's nothing said. Normally, the Christian church says, well, there's no point in helping people out with tangible needs because they're just going to hell anyway. Right? So who cares if their tummies are full and they all go to hell? Well, that sounds very loving. Now, what we need to realize is the action is the message. The action is the message. You keep thinking there needs to be a message. No, trust me. If it is a scenario where they shouldn't expect you to care about them and you do, that is a message. You don't have to open your mouth for any of it. They'll get it. What is the message? Well, you go, well, they need to hear the whole gospel. I suggest to you that whatever you're about to say out of your mouth is not the whole gospel. Why? Because it's very multifaceted. But here's the simple gospel. You ready? God loved me so much that I'm going to love you. And as I love you, I want to point out that he loves you the same way that he loves me. Wasn't that said in the taking care of the need? Yeah, I think it was. All right. Last couple things on this. The evidence was in the doing. Would God really want us to do something or is it okay like the modern day American church to just think a lot? Y'all know what I'm talking about? We think a ton. You know what I think about? I think about God's love. Do you? That's awesome. You know what else I think about? I think about God as the answer to all the problems. Well, that's fantastic. You know what else I think about? I think about the fact that I'm going to heaven. You do? Well, that's nice of you. And I think about the fact that I should probably do something. You do think about that. Well, great. We think and think and think and we do nothing. Would God really want us to do something? Well, let me, let me share this with you. It's a super scary story that Jesus tells. And the story goes something like this. He said, in the end, I'm going to gather all people together and I'm going to separate them like the sheep from the goats. You remember this? Now, since we're not agricultural folks by and large, we don't understand how sheep and goats could look very similar. But I can tell you this, when they're all woolied out, they, they're very similar. And so a non-trained eye would look and go, I don't even know what that is, but it all makes the same sound, so it's got to be the same thing. To a shepherd, it's easy. Sheep, goat, 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 sheep, goat, sheep, goat, right? It's easy. He said, I'm going to separate people, one, to eternal life. Uh Uh-oh, that sounds significant. And to eternal damnation. Whoa. Scary story. I'm going to separate everybody out for the rest of eternity. On what basis, Lord? This is what he says. 
For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Not one mention of a message. That's weird. So what's the basis for separation? Doing stuff. Are you telling me that we have to do stuff to earn our salvation? Nope. You do stuff because you are saved. You will never hear anything purposely from me or should ever from this stage that teaches a performance-based religion. You do not do things to earn God's love. You do not do things to become a Christian. You do not do things in order to please God. You are his child. That's why you do things. You are saved. That's why you do things. You are precious. That's why you do things. Never get that mixed up because you become a monster. So I need us to understand our identity had to be locked in first. Then we operate out of that. Not feeling like we are unloved, but feeling we are overloved. All right. Last thing I'll say on this piece and we'll jump to the next concept. There's a specific challenge to our demographic. Our demographic is that we by and large are educated and we by and large are middle to upper class. That's kind of our demographic. We are challenged by a certain trap from the devil, which I will refer to as paralysis of analysis. Paralysis of analysis. What do I mean? I mean, you see a need and then you put it through 36 different scenarios in your mind about why you are not going to respond to that need. It starts out something like this. Oh my gosh, that person over there looks poor. Instead of responding, we then go into analysis. You know what? As a matter of fact, from my research, I have found out that they're probably addicted. Well, if they're addicted, if I give them anything, they're just going to use it on alcohol or they're going to use it on drugs. That would be a very non-Jesus thing to do. So why would I possibly want to give them something that would only damage them? Well, certainly I would not want to damage them. So I'm not going to do that. And so we do nothing. So let me cut through all the garbage. Let's say that is true. And nine times out of 10, it's not going to help. Let's say you found one out of 10. Did you even do anything? Probably not. The paralysis of analysis freezes everything out. And then we do nothing. And that is the state of a lot of the church today. How do we change that? When you do see a legitimate need, you must act and act wisely and act immediately. Does that make sense? All right, good. Three of you know. I'm gaining on you. This is fantastic. By the time we get done, we're going to have a total of five people that are aligned with me. All right, praise God. Some of you have heard me teach this before. Uh, what is the most common adjective to describe Jesus? Anybody remember? What word? Compassion. The number one word used most commonly to describe Jesus is compassionate. You know what compassionate means in Greek is uh, moved from the very bowels of your emotions. In other words, Jesus feels really intensely. 
He loves from his guts. So this whole misnomer that we have bought into where Christians can be all thought-based and stoic and non-emotional and I don't really like you, but I have to love you is garbage. That's not Jesus. As a matter of fact, if no emotion is involved, we haven't yet reached agape. What's agape? That's God love. So if there's no emotion, it's no God love. You got something else. But you don't have God love. And that's what we're aiming for. Jesus said, I want you to love like I loved you. He loved with all of his emotions. Emotions are critical. Somehow we've gotten very stoic and we believe, well, emotions can't be trusted and we threw them out. That's a mistake. Because as a human being, part of you is an emotional being. You must engage that. The Bible says we must love from the heart. That's their way of saying, and really, in Greek, it's you got to love from the bowels. And I tell you, put that on a card. It's awesome. Next time it's Valentine's Day, honey, I love you from my bowels. It just, it rolls off the tongue. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's beautiful and poetic language. Just sign it Jesus. Right? (laughs) Turn with me to John chapter 15, verse 1. John chapter 15, verse 1. You all have probably heard this passage. It's the vine and the branches analogy. All right. So we're going to read it. And I know it sounds a little Yoda-like. It keeps saying the same thing over and over again. But I need us to just lock it into our heart because he says, if the Bible ever repeats something, It means it's super important. That's why it's saying it twice. Okay. So let's just read this passage together. John chapter 15, verse one. He said, I am the true vine and my father is a vine dresser. Every branch, and that's us, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, which is really the reason why we are here, does not bear fruit. He takes away and every branch that does bear fruit. He prunes that it may what bear more fruit. Verse four, abide in me, remain in me, hang out with me, connect with me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. Verse five, I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Verse eight. By this, my father is glorified, meaning how do we make God look good? That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 16, you didn't choose me, I chose you and I appointed you with a purpose that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Verse 17, these things I command you so you will love one another. What is our purpose? Bear fruit. What kind of fruit? The Bible actually tells us what kind of fruit. The fruit of the spirit. What is the fruit of the spirit? The Bible gives us a list. This is all very easy. It's not rocket science. Love, joy, peace, patience. What? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? So... We know what kind of fruit this has to be coming out in our lives, not by struggle, but by natural. Yes, a tree does not struggle to produce fruit. A tree just produces fruit. If the root is good, if the roots bad, it doesn't produce anything. 
but it certainly doesn't struggle to do it. So all these things should naturally be flowing out in our lives. Now, y'all have heard that message before. Let me give you a new one. Who eats the fruit? It's not the tree. It's not the tree. Here's why. If the tree eats the fruit, we are now in Middle Earth. Okay? If the tree goes, bloop, produces some fruit, and it's like, oh, and just shoves it in its own face. Right? That's just creepy and weird. That's not how it goes. So who eats the fruit of a tree? Anyone but the tree. Right? Everything God produces in you isn't for you. But this is what we tend to do. We keep producing fruit and we turn around and eat it ourselves. And then we produce fruit and we turn around and eat it ourselves and everything cycles in on ourselves and we just become more and more overstuffed. Who eats the fruit of our lives? Anyone else but us. So that means whatever we're producing out there, God gave us so that we might, what? Give it away. Are we all tracking on me? All right, good, good, good. Woo, that's the bigger one. I like that. I like that. We're up to 12. That's as far as Jesus got. So that's okay. That's, that's great. I'm on a good track. Can you turn with me to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1? Genesis 12, 1. This is important. I'm about to lay out for you not only Bridgeway's plan of evangelism, but God's plan of evangelism. Now, that's a big statement. It, can it be correct? Well, yes, it is, because it's pretty well laid out in Scripture. Here we go. Genesis 12.1. You ready? Now, the Lord said to Abram, who became Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Okay? And this is one you've got to underline. There's a pen in front of you. You can use that. You can underline in whatever Bible you got. You underline verse 2. And I will make of you a great nation. You're like, that is awesome. Yes, Lord. And I will bless you. Ooh, I like that one. Yes, Lord. And make your name great. Yes, Lord. So that you will be a blessing. Hey, wait a second. That was a bait and switch. Verse three, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse here. The other part you got to underline for in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Ask you a quick question. In your estimation, personally, do you believe that the church is a significant blessing to society? Can it do better? This is God's evangelism plan for the world. How do we know that? Because this is what the Jewish people came for and from. What was the purpose? That they would be salt and light to the world. He said, through you, all nations on earth will be blessed. In other words, this is my plan of loving on everyone will be, I bless you and you bless others. Got it? So I don't, it's once again, not very difficult, pretty clear. This is God's plan. So what is our plan at Bridgeway? It's the same plan. Let's make it practical. If you take notes, I want you to write this down. We put a note section in your bulletin. Um, I'm sure you've doodled already. And so that may be filled up. But if you could just go around the edge, that'd be great. I'm going to give you five points 
and they're all going to start with a letter. And this is going to be our evangelism plan. And it's absolutely brilliant. What does that mean? It means we stole it from someone else. You understand what I'm saying? So I'm going to give you a plan. You're going to go, wow, Lance, that's extraordinary. And I'm going to go, yes, it is. I didn't come up with it. Here we go. It's called the blessed concept. B-L-E-S-S. Each letter starts and talks about a specific aspect. B stands for begin with prayer. There is no point in trying to go out and doing God's will if we're not going to pray through it. Why? Because the number one question we must always ask is what is God saying? He's the one that's opening doors. He's the one that's opening hearts. So if we are not locked in with prayer, we can't either hear him or operate in his way. So it's silly to do evangelism without prayer. B, begin with prayer. L, listen deeply. If you try to minister to somebody without listening to their heart first, you're going to start with the wrong part of the gospel. Remember, they need to hear the whole gospel, but what are you going to start with? If they have tremendous hurt from religion, I probably wouldn't lead with hell. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? All right. If, however, they start and their whole story is laced with entitlement, what would you do? The wages of sin is death. There is no one righteous, not even one. Do you understand that if you listen deeply, you know what portion of the gospel to lead with? Not only that, but you need to know their story so you don't minister to something they don't need. Because then they think it's a waste. If you think they need more information, so you just keep talking and what they need is action, you just missed it. Listen to what they're saying because their story will tell you something very, very deep. E stands for eat. It does not mean eat them. Please don't eat them. All right. That's a no, no. Okay. We're not, we're not running around eating people eat with them. In other words, most of us are so busy that some of the only times we'll slow down is to eat. So what we need to do is spend that time so that we have time with people. That's mostly what it means. Do you have time to go deeper than a surface? What's up? Spend time with them and usually over a meal because if you, if someone has something in front of them and they have a purpose of being there, they relax. Have you all heard the statistics about coffee in church? You ever, anybody ever heard that? That as long as people have a little cup in front of them, they feel safe. So coffee is not about coffee. Coffee is a safety place. They have a cup in front of them, which is a barrier between you and them. They create personal space and it says, oh, I need to be here. I'm drinking coffee. Now, whether they're drinking coffee or not, it's not the point. Do you understand why bars became so popular? Because you're doing something so you can talk. I have a drink in front of me. That's the point. It became a conversation place. And it, the whole idea was I'm allowed to sit for an hour and talk to you because I'm supposed to be here. I'm doing something. Really? It takes you that long to consume a liquid. What is wrong with you? You could just go and you're out. All right. You don't need to be standing there. The same thing occurs with coffee houses. What's the deal? It gives us an excuse. Food and beverage gives us an excuse to talk and drag things out. Are we all following this? This is a little bit of sociology for you. Okay, good enough. B-L-E, what's the first S? Serve them. 
serve them. Why? You've heard the overused phrase, nobody knows, uh, cares what you know unless they know that you care, right? Unless you serve them. And how are you going to know how they need to be served? Because you already listen deeply, yes? So serving means you find out what would actually benefit them. The more that there is a lack of kindness, the more your action will shine. If you're in a neighborhood where it's like, no, wait, can I mow your lawn? No, I'd love to mow your lawn. No, I want to mow your lawn. And you do it, it's probably not going to matter. I don't think any of you live in that neighborhood. Usually there's a lack of love. So anything you're going to do is a significant message, right? Okay, cool. First one is serve. Second S, story. Tell them your story and tell them the story of Jesus. You go, well, I don't, I don't know. You know your story. Why? It's your story. <laughs> You're not going to mess it up. Wait, I was born to, oh no, that's not them. Okay, no, I'm pretty sure you know who your parents are. Okay, so when we tell the story, there's no nervousness. You tell your story. And you're like, well, I don't know if I can link it in. It doesn't matter. Jesus changed you. So talk about that. It goes back to the blind man. Everyone was hassling him about Jesus. Well, how'd you get healed? Uh, I don't know. I was blind. Now I can see. Well, is Jesus a good guy or not? I don't know. I was blind and now I can see. Well, how's it all working out? I don't know. I was blind and now I can see. You're supposed here. I want us all to learn this phrase. I don't know. Okay, I don't know. Okay, good. Fantastic. As a Christian, this is a beautiful phrase that anytime somebody says, how does that work? You go, I don't know. Right? Okay, so you don't need to have all the answers. Just tell them your story. Let Jesus do the rest and tell them his story. Well, all the facts. He died and he got up. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Let's start with that. He died and then whoop, he got right back up. Okay, fantastic. How about we do that one? <laughs> that's a cool story. Not too complicated. Well, how did it work? I don't know, okay? This is why it's so helpful in Christian dialogue. All right. All right, let's close this thing out. Paul said uh, in 1 Corinthians 16, 8, I will stay in Ephesus for a wide door for effective work has been opened to me. Can we be looking for open doors? Because here's what's interesting. We come up with our own plans. We don't ask the Lord. And then we beat our heads against a wall and wonder why the door's not opening. Okay, if you listen to the Lord and he opens a door, it's way easier. Yeah? So what we do is we need to walk around with our eyes open and say, Lord, what about that one? What about that one? What about that one? And you're trying handles and they're not open. As opposed to just standing at one door and going, open oh, and banging on it. Maybe you should move to the next door. And maybe that one's open because the Lord opened that. And sometimes when you have a closed door, the reasons it's closed is because your little door keeps opening. Your little mouth keeps running. Maybe you need to shut your little door and they'll open their door. Okay, that's obviously how the Lord works, right? Is that he's trying to say, hey, guys, I'm more interested in them getting saved than you are. Quit wrecking it. I'm going to work on this. So when he opens up a door, and what does an open door look like? Sometimes it looks like a person that says, hey, what's going on with you? <laughs> that was the Lord going, and scene. Okay, let's go ahead and close that one out. Yes, Lord. 
Maybe I need to shut my little door. <laughs> this year, we're going to be going through three books of the Bible. We're going to be launching the book of Colossians next week. We will be then going through the Old Testament and the book of Ezra, talking about how to reclaim our purpose when everyone tries to hijack it. We will then go on to the book of First Timothy. I want you here for all those parts and all those series. Why? Because we need to get out there and do something. It means that not only will we have a grand opening to bring people here, we will do practical outreach outside and that means we will also be launching missional communities inside this fall we will be launching our small groups that we call missional communities we'll give you more information but bottom line after all these years we need somewhere to belong and do stuff together if you're a leader i need you to be a leader if you need just a place to belong and be loved i need a place for you so let's start doing that last thing i'll say is I need you to prepare your heart for this year. What does it mean? I need you to learn what it means to be generous. Some of you are overly generous and some of you are incredibly not. There's a word for that. I can't think of it right now. I need you to be generous. And, and what it means is we're going to be inviting and having a lot of opportunities to tangibly love on people. And we're not going to be able to do that without the generosity of God's people. So I need you to be generous with your time. I need you to be generous with your money. If you are not currently giving through the church or around the church, right? Which it doesn't have to be Bridgeway as long as you're using your money to bless people, right? If you're doing it through church or around church, if you're not doing that, something has to change. Why? Because that's a part of growing up. It's a part of being a Christian in this world. So I need you to organize your life so more money goes out from you. And we'll begin to get more healthy. We'll begin to talk about that a little bit more this year. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? And pray for the fact that I'm sweating. Uh, prayer team. Uh, here's what, as they're making their way out here, let me just tell you this. God has been tapping you on the shoulder. During this message, he was going, yeah, yeah, yeah. That part, that's you. That part, that's you. Hun, your compassion level is really low. You don't really care about people. You like the concept of people. You just don't love people. My son, you're very resistant to give anything away because you think it's yours, right? Whatever it was, whatever I was talking about, there's something he was laying on your heart. If you need prayer for that, I'm going to be here afterwards and so is our prayer team. So what I need you to do is just come forward for prayer after I bless us all. If not, you're going to have a wonderful weekend. I do know that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have blessed us above and beyond. May you be glorified right now before we do anything. We know that we are not trying to operate off scarcity. We're operating off overabundance, in love, in joy, in peace, in patience, and goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. So God, I pray right now that you might be glorified in this place. And Lord, there are some of us that really want to be able to focus, but right now we are completely hijacked. Lord, because we hurt, I ask that in the name of Jesus, right here, right now, that you would be healed. Father, that they would be freed to minister as you call them to, unless that is the ministry. 
So Lord, anything that is needless, that is covering our family here, that is negative, I ask that it would go in the name of Jesus. But Lord, we say yes to your plans. May you be glorified here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful weekend.